together. All right, we're starting a brand new series today. And if you're really new to our church, this series is going to be particularly unique because it's about something that God has been doing in the life of our church, like this community, over the last 24 months. And this is actually the tail end of a two-year journey that has been pretty incredible, particularly in the context of a pandemic. So there were some of those plans and ideas and kingdom exciting initiatives that I was like, maybe this whole thing's gonna fall apart, you know, when the pandemic came. And I'm not joking you, I think God has blessed it incredibly well. I just simply want to say this, church, we have a lot to be grateful for, don't we? We really have so much to be thankful for. And I, I just wanted to say this, like, we're loved by God. Are, are you thankful for that? I'm so grateful. Like, we just finished a series that I thought was so beneficial in the hearts and lives of individuals last week, a series called Help. And the very final week of it, we talked about people who have a negative mindset. And I just thought about it, like, we ought to be the most grateful people on the planet Earth. We ought to be like filled with thanks all the time. And that should be like pouring out of our mouths. And if it's not, I really want to encourage you today to look to the goodness of God. I, I wrote this down. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, yeah? Thank you, God, for that. Jesus died and rose again. God, we are so grateful for that. Now we know forgiveness and good standing with God. Once again, Gratitude should well up in our hearts. I don't ever want to get used to that or numb to that incredible truth. We've been adopted into his family, amen? God is with us. And now we get to live a life without shame and condemnation. I am grateful for that freedom. And I don't know about you, but we get to spend eternity with the King of Kings, amen? Praise God. So much to be grateful for. More specifically, I want to point us today towards gratitude uniquely around what God has done over the last 24 months. For some of you, you're going to be hearing this, and you've been a part of the church for maybe the last several years. And so as I say this, you're going to go, oh yeah, I know about that. I know about that. I remember when we spoke about that. I remember when we gave updates about that. And for you, it's going to be probably a really good and helpful refresher. But then I also want to be aware that in the last two years, we've had many people come to our church for the first time. You might be here over you know, the last few weeks or maybe even for the first time today. And so you might be hearing all of this for the very first time. We had a nickname for the last two years, and the nickname was Advance. And we were all about advancing the gospel in Mount Pleasant, in Alma, and in something that we called the 418 Initiative. And we're actually going to dig into those specifics next week because we've more celebrating to do around those in a very specific way. This time, for me, it represents a launching pad for our church, not a landing pad. For me, we're coming to the completion of advance but I see that the Holy Spirit has us poised as a community of God for what is coming next. But before we go into all of that, it's right and appropriate. You see it in the Old Testament so often when people would build an altar and they say, look at what God did. We will remember what he did. And I'd love for us to be able to do that over these next three weeks. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 over the next three weeks together. And we're going to be looking at several of the verses in there. And in that particular passage of scripture, God talks about generosity. God kind of talks about money. Now, you might ask yourself the question, why does the Bible 
talk about money. What, what's that about? Why would, why would the Bible talk about it? One of the reasons why I think the Bible talks about money is because every time I take my wallet out of my pocket, you can ask my wife and my children, when I go to open it like this, it makes this audible creaking sound like a rusty door. It's like this, like, don't open me, don't open me. And I say that to say to you, here's what I know about myself when it comes to generosity. For many years of my life, and I've, I've already fessed this up to the church, but I'll say it again. My attitude towards generosity and personal finances has always been, you've got to be ready in case the sky falls. I've always carried this thing in me of, you know, make sure you have it. Make sure you keep it. Don't spend it. Don't spend it at all. Uh, Make sure that if that day comes, you've got a little something. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I think probably for myself, I can get to a pretty unhealthy place around that. It's not the best. And God has been helping me personally with that over the last two years. The Bible has no problem with money, none at all. But God knows that you and I begin to get in trouble when we start to love money too much. In fact, God's word very specifically says, it's a scripture that most people kind of actually mistake, uh, make a little mistake in. The scripture says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Some people think that money is evil. Money isn't evil at all. Money can be used for wonderful things, but the love, of it, the love of it can send you in the wrong direction. Those are strong words. And if we were to be honest together, I would say, if you just look at the world and the world's love of money, it's not really hard to see, is it? How that can produce sometimes terrible, unhealthy things in people's lives, in families' lives, even in entire cultures. If we're to be more honest, it's not just looking at the world and saying, yes, we can see that. But if we look at ourselves, if we're being honest, we can see how it can impact us as well. Sort of three little things came to mind when I thought about how we kind of make mess-ups with finances and and generosity. The first one is this. It's a person who kind of has no control over their personal finances, and so it controls them. And by that, I mean it is the singular reason why you get out of bed in the morning and you work your tail off. You are driven by this need to accumulate and to get your hands on finances. The problem with that is that there's never any destination. There's never any place of completion. You simply must always have, what's the word? More money, always. And it becomes the great driver of a person's life. It becomes their God, and they serve it well. A second scenario that I see so often is people who are simply irresponsible with finances, and therefore, they actually become slaves to finances. This is a very common story. They're consumed with buying too many things that they do not need, with money that they do not have to impress people that they do not know. That is the American way. And it's painful. A third observation. If you're like me, it becomes a way to have control, to be careful, to make sure everything will be all right, to make sure just in case the sky falls and you can't enjoy money. About a year ago, my wife and I, we purchased a couch for our living room. It was time. The other couch needed to go to the graveyard of couches. It was time. I promise you, we didn't do that irresponsibly or impulsively. Not at all. We thought about it. We went to a few places. We looked for the deal. We found a couch that we liked. We bought the couch. 
you couldn't look at me for about three or four days. I'm not even joking you. I was a mess. I was in a bad mood because I had spent this much money because, you know, buying a couch is not like buying a bag of potatoes, is it? It costs a few more pennies. I was just, and my wife was like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Don't talk to me. I was a mess. It was because I bought the couch and I had spent money and I didn't like, and I would just say, I recognize that's not healthy. It's okay to be able to do things from time to time. God knows that generosity rarely, if ever, if ever, happens by accident. We know that our nature struggles with just stuff. We want stuff. We want things we want to accumulate. And a massive part of what it looks like to be a follower of Christ is that we would be generous people. Generous with love, generous with care and attention, generous with truth and counsel and advice, generous with the gospel towards other people, and yes, even generous with our finances. Followers of Christ have a different lens when it comes to God's kingdom that trumps our typical nature that wants to build our own mini castles, our own wardrobes, our own collections of toys, our own 401k, our own retirement, our own bank accounts, and all of those things. Your treasure is your money. Stuff. Wherever your treasure is, guess what you will do? You will follow after it. If that is what is a treasure to you, you will pursue that. If you want to know where you are at in terms of your heart, if you want to know where I'm at in terms of my heart, I would encourage you, don't judge me on my sermons. Don't judge me... Or give me a lot of credit for how you see me in this environment. But Pastor Alan, look at your Bible. It looks so worn and used. And if you flick through the pages, you'll see the underlinings and the colored pencils. I would encourage you not to judge me on that at all. Rather, I would encourage you to take a look at my checkbook or my credit card statement. That's probably a better indication of where I'm at. God looks at all that other stuff and he says, that's just colored pencils. That's not really an indication of where your heart is at. If you really want to know where my heart is at or where your heart is at, look at your stuff. Look at your checkbook. Look at your money. And Jesus says that is true of every one of us. God just gets this. He knows that your heart wants stuff. Plastic. You want it. He knows this about you. And he says this, I don't want to compete with stuff, with plastic for your heart. I'm God. I'm not willing to do that. But your heart is following and pursuing and chasing after stuff. So God says this, here's what I want you to do if you're my follower. I want you to surrender all of that stuff. I want you to surrender it to me because then I'll have your heart. God says, I don't want your money. I don't want your stuff. What do you think I'm going to do with it? I'm God. I don't need anything that you have. What I want is your heart. I want you. And it is a fact of life that your heart is going to chase hard after stuff. So I want you to surrender that to me. All of it. We bump into a fellow called Paul. He's writing to a church in Corinth. 
And you're going to see over these next few verses that Paul, much like most of his writings, like he is not mincing his words, particularly around a tough subject. He's talking about generosity. He refuses to walk on eggshells around this passage. And it represents a significant challenge to anyone following Jesus. Let's take a look. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Okay, so he's writing to Corinth, but he's talking about another church in Macedonia. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, what, the, what happened to it? It welled up in generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. So there's some talk here about you started something, but, so he's talking about this beginning, but he's like, I'm urging you to bring it to completion. They haven't finished it. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in, in faith, speech, knowledge, complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Bible specifically talking about generosity. So what ha what's happening here is that the church in Jerusalem was having a hard time. A very, very difficult time. The church in Jerusalem was in need. They were hurting. And Paul is writing to a church in Corinth. But he's talking to them about a church in Macedonia. And he's lifting them up. He's elevating this church in Macedonia as an incredible example. A very, very good example. In fact, it seems as though they came to Paul, this church in Macedonia, and they're like, they're kind of pleading with him, begging him, look, we want to help the church in Jerusalem. Would you please let us do that? Please, 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 we really want to do that. Even though it looks like Macedonia, they didn't have much money at all. In fact, it says specifically that they were kind of impoverished. They wanted to help in a tangible way. And they did, even though they didn't have a lot. They put their money where their mouth was, and they helped this church in Jerusalem. Meanwhile, Paul is now writing this letter to Corinth, a far more wealthy church. And guess what they're doing? Kind of nothing. So we've got a really clear contrast here. Macedonia, impoverished but radically generous. Corinth, rich but radically stingy. They said they were going to do something. This conversation about there was a beginning to what you were going to do. And he says, I need you to bring it to completion. They said they were going to do something, but it looks like they have not fulfilled what they said they were going to do. So some kind of empty promise has gone out here. They are on the path to being a Scrooge. They're on the path to being kind of talking out of two sides of their mouth. You know, oh yeah, I'm going to do that. And then they just don't do it. They're on the path to being stingers. Macedonia, they never asked how much. They just responded with this heart, with this desire for God. I think the world is running short of examples of generosity. And this example of Macedonia is a great example to all of us. Paul's not trying to convince anybody. He's not trying to twist anyone's arm. He's not trying to tell them that it's the smart thing to do or the responsible thing to do. Not at all. 
Everyone else is just clinging to treasure. But Macedonia are just giving it away. And they're doing it because they are savoring the kingdom of God. They are having a sense of greater satisfaction in giving rather than the natural inclination that is in every single one of us to say, I'm not going to give anything to anybody. I'm going to keep it for myself. And ultimately, it comes to this hard challenge from Paul. He's literally going to point out Macedonia to this church in Corinth, and he's going to come to a point where he's going to say, so Corinth, what's your excuse? If that's what they could do, what is your excuse? Look at what he says. Verse 8, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it to the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So Paul says, I'm not going to tell you what to do. He says, I'm not commanding you. He says, but I will test you. I'm going to compare you to this other church that was so generous, even though they didn't have much at all. And then Paul actually goes further. Paul has no problem equating generosity with the activity of the gospel itself. He goes beyond Macedonia as an example, and look at who he points to. He points to Jesus Christ as the ultimate example. He says Jesus was rich, and he became poor. Jesus left his throne. Jesus left the heavens. Jesus came to a stable, a cave. Jesus entered into the ministry of a nomad. Jesus had no place to lay his head. This is a macro truth in Christianity, and it is a reflection of the ministry of Jesus Christ for 30 plus years. Let me encapsulate it in this small little statement. Jesus lives in order to give. Jesus lives in order to give. And any one of you who are following Christ will know exactly what I'm talking about, because every time we have an interaction with Jesus, maybe at church, or maybe you by yourself with your Bible, praying to God, and God speaks to you or blesses you or shows up in your life, what is it every single time? It is God pouring out and you being on the receiving end. His constant generosity in our lives. And of course, Jesus did that giving to the extent of, well, we just broke bread to the extent of giving his life. So what do we do now? Well, now you live for Christ. If Jesus lived in order to give, now, God, my life, I live it in order to pour out just like you pour out. I want to do the same thing. Just look at Jesus. It's the complete opposite to how the world thinks and operates because it's the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world. Look at Jesus giving on the cross. Jesus now taking part in death and resurrection. Now he says, I want you to partake of my spirit. Now he says, I want you to live in conformity to Jesus Christ. Now he says, I want you to be transformed like Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus Christ lives to give and God says, as your father, I want you to be like my son, Jesus Christ. Look at Christianity. Somebody sins against you. What does it say? Forgive them 70 times seven. There's just this pouring out all of the time. This is the nature of Christianity. Living to give. Our lives poured out just like who? Just like the one we're following, Jesus. So Jesus lived to give, so we live to give. We're no longer just living for ourselves. Verse 10. Here is my judgment 
about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. So it seems like Corinth started well. There was some kind of beginning there. Now he says, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. So you wanted to do something. I want you to act on what you wanted. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our attitude towards finances, generosity, giving, money, the truth of the matter is it influences almost every area of our lives. And the reason why is because money is utterly common to your everyday and my everyday. Imagine if money was this thing you did once every five years. It's not. It's something that you do sometimes multiple times every day of your life. Automatic payments and bills and buying and groceries and kids and car and put the petrol in the car and all the stuff that you do. Listen to these words. The way we spend our money determines the character of our lives. Even as the character of our lives determines how we spend our money. Because money is so everyday, it is this litmus test for how much of the world is inside of me or how much of Jesus Christ is inside of me. And Paul is going back to these guys in Corinth and he's literally saying to them in verse 11, I want you to finish the work. You said you were going to be generous, so go ahead. And Paul's not afraid to just say that quite plainly to them. And what we do very quickly is we look for loopholes. Well, you know, I don't really have enough. I don't, I don't think I can afford that. I don't have enough money to give. And Paul says, well, neither did Macedonia. Paul says, you had this desire to give. You have this desire to be a generous person. If I were to ask almost any person out on the street, do you want to be a generous person? 99% of people would say to you, oh, yeah, I want to be a generous person. And what Paul is saying here is, it's not enough to want to be a generous person. He's literally saying, go ahead and act on that. Go ahead and be a generous person. Go ahead and do that. It's like me. Like, I want to go to the gym. <laughs> I don't really go to the gym at all. Paul is lovingly leading them. He's nudging them. Go for it. Don't be generous in theory. Be generous in practice. Don't live your life saying, I want to be a generous person. Go ahead and be a generous person, just like Jesus Christ. Verse 15, last little verse in here. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. That is a direct reference to the Old Testament when the people of God were going through the desert. They were walking through the desert hungry, and God provided bread, this manna. It literally fell from the sky and they would eat it. And we see in the Old Testament, there are people who gathered a ton of it, and there are people who gathered a little bit, but on every occasion, it said that everybody simply had what they needed. There was enough for everybody. God's heart is that no one would be without, while others have way too much. In his kingdom, there is an equality of provision of grace for every one of his children. He never says, I'm going to give loads of grace to you and minimum grace to another. He's pouring out his grace so that we can be his children. So in the context of Jesus and the cross, 
You look at the Macedonians and you have to say, they are not foolish people. The world would say they are because they're giving when they don't have. But they're not foolish people for giving what they could not afford, for giving out of their poverty. It's not that they're religious heroes. The point of the passage, the point of all of this is that it actually glorifies God. And I'll tell you why. Because there's nothing inside of us that wants to go in that direction. We are born, we come out of our mother's womb running in a selfish direction. Only God can accomplish that in the heart of a man or a woman. And it actually gives glory to God. Only God can transform a fist that holds on tight to accumulation and stuff. And I've got to have it and I must keep it and I must control it. Only God is able to do that. And that is the transformation that God accomplishes. Not only that, not only does it do a work in you, but then it also blesses your brother or sister. It also helps a genuine need. And again, that glorifies God. And that eradicates this need for control in us. And that glorifies God. It's countercultural in so many ways. And that glorifies God because the kingdom of God is being established. Only God can do that in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. And he gets all of the glory and praise for that. To live for God is to give. And that's us as followers of Christ. We pour out love and friendship and care and stuff. Lord, I know that stuff wants to control my heart. I refuse to have you compete. I surrender it to you. And the book of Acts and the birth of the church, and here's what's happened in the last 24 months in this local church right here, is ripe with that kind of generosity. People came to Christ and they just, generosity just poured. It was like this natural outflow. Oh, you're a follower of Christ? Generosity. Every time. We see in the book of Acts in particular, they're feeding the poor. They're giving their time to strangers. They're presenting the gospel to anyone. They're selling their possessions. They're selecting people for the care of the widows. They're financing the globalization of the gospel as Paul and Peter and Barnabas and Apollos and James begin to travel to different regions. To live for God is to give. God brought help to this needy church in Jerusalem by first transforming the hearts of an impoverished church in Macedonia and giving them joy to give in the context of their own poverty. Only God can do that. They encountered Christ and that transformed them into generous people despite their circumstances and their poverty. And I'm telling you right now, church, I'm telling you right now, that is what God has done in this church in the last 24 months. I promise you. I want you to hear a story right now, and it is a story of what your generosity has done in the life of one family here in central Michigan. Take a look at the side screens. Um, my name is Jessica, and I'm married to my husband. His name is Joseph. We have two beautiful little girls, Evelyn and Mary. Um, Evelyn's four, and Mary is two. And so we've been married about four years now, and yeah. My first interaction with Community Church was with Emily from Christian Counseling of Mid Michigan. And so I met with her there, and then I came to uh, Christmas, and I saw her here, and I was like, oh, well, I didn't know you, you came to this church, but that's awesome. It was pretty awesome. I mean, everybody was dressed up, and it was very theatrical, so I wasn't expecting it to be quite as large as it is, which is nice. Um, but yeah, it was pretty cool. Right, so um, 
When I found myself in need of a vehicle, I had just joined um, college at mid and I needed to get my girls into daycare, but I didn't have a way to get to the college and get them to daycare. Um, and so it just didn't seem like it was going to be possible uh, for me to go to school. Um, it's not really feasible to do online school with two little toddlers running around. So um, I ended up, I was talking to my friend Kristen on the phone and she mentioned to go to a place called the Care Store um, and talk to somebody named Kim. When I got to the Care Store, she actually didn't know if she could help or not, but she did tell me to call the helpline. And um, through the helpline, I ended up yeah, getting a vehicle really quickly, actually, um, which was pretty amazing. I mean, I didn't expect them to just give me a vehicle, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I thought it was going to be more of like helping me find something and maybe um, something like that. But yeah, it, it was beyond all my expectations. Hi, I'm Lisa Dvorak. I head up our deacon program here at Community Church. So when Jessica called the helpline, um, she needed a car. And it's not a typical request. It's a little harder to procure a vehicle, um, but God works in big ways. Um, so she said she needed a car. She's got two little kids. She needed to get them to take care. She needed to go to work. So yeah, busy mom needs a car. It's impossible not to put yourself in that situation. Like, I have little kids too. If that was me, what would I need? Like, and what was important to me? walking through with my kids. So she was paired with Larry and Lenora, just a wonderful couple, and Larry happens to know about cars. Um, another God thing. So uh, Jessica, she went out hunting for a used car, and she called Larry and Lenora, hey, I think I found one. Could you come with me and check, make sure it's okay? So they would meet with her, and they happened to find one that fit the needs. It, it checked out, and so for $1,500, um, we were able to get her on her feet. Larry ended up helping me find a vehicle very quickly. He found um, a car with only 70,000 miles on it, and which was totally unheard of, you know, um, especially for the price. And he actually knows how to work on vehicles as well, so he was able to help me with a couple of issues that um, came about during the first couple of months of driving the vehicle. So it wasn't like a one-time thing, like here's a vehicle. He kind of stayed in touch with me, even I think for a year after that point of just keeping in touch with me to make sure the vehicle was running well and everything. So to be able to have my own vehicle, especially for the kids, um, to give them a little more freedom was awesome. So not only did it help me get, uh, I passed my classes with A's and and helped me get further in my schooling, but um, it helped them to open up some doors to being able to play and enjoy the things in the community. Um, my husband had acquired a medical debt of about $23,000, and we had a goal of paying it off by 2022. Some heavy weight on his shoulders of like, I've acquired this debt and it's gonna be very difficult to pay it off, but I feel like it's important for our family's future to start moving forward and at least making some payments. Um, he works very hard. Uh, and and the money that he makes is really hard-earned money. He um, has an app on his phone called Credit Karma, and he would check pretty regularly. Um, he was he had actually had a prayer list, um, and on his prayer list it said pay off medical debt, um, and he would pray over that list pretty regularly. So mixed with the prayer and the checking, 
And being really invested in his credit score going up and the debt being taken care of, when he checked and it was gone, he was kind of like, okay, it must be a glitch in the system or something like this is wrong. So he went and started checking every day, just waiting for it to come back because he was very confused. Um, and we ended up going to dinner at a friend's. Her parents attend this church, and we were just discussing life, explaining what happened through the week. And we brought up the fact that his medical debt just vanished. It was literally, it was between twenty dollars and $30,000 worth of medical debt. So once we brought that up over supper, she said, oh yeah, that was Mount Pleasant Community Church. And we were like, what? Because we still thought it was a glitch or something on uh, online. And she was like, yeah, they raised almost $2 million and paid off all the surrounding family's medical debt. And so it was really an answer to prayer that I mean, we didn't expect it to be fulfilled, you know. Um, um, it was pretty miraculous, not only the way that it was paid, but the way that we found out. And it really strengthened his faith in uh, seeing God work a miracle in our life that way. I, I think it's just amazing that he had it on a prayer list, and almost everything on that prayer list got uh, met by God's provision, so it's just pretty, pretty incredible. We actually had a second vehicle on that prayer list <laughs> by 2021, so that was kind of covered by this church as well. And um, that it really doesn't matter what amount you're giving, it's always going to impact somebody on the other side um, in a large way or small way. Just never underestimate what God can accomplish in your life. In the Bible it says to go and pray in a secret place with the Lord and that He will see what you pray in the secret place and it will be made manifest into miracles in your life. And I just really have had God bless my life in so many abundant ways when I take it to Him in private and I pray and I trust Him with it. And I continue to pray over and over. Um, it seems like He really does come through in those times when you just, I mean, $23,000 of medical debt seems impossible, especially for a family um, of four with two children. So it was just, amazing to see that happen along with the vehicle and yeah just not to underestimate the power of God and what he can do through prayer and through community I mean it takes I'm not sure how many people donated to that cause but it took every single one of them to bless the people that they blessed so it's just good to see the body of Christ working together to bring Christ's fullness here on earth. And can we give glory to God? Praise God. Did you see how many touches were there? The counseling center uh, started from this church. The care store started from this church. They came to what really is something very attractive for the community, a Christmas service in this church. Um, they knew people in this church. They're having dinner with people who are providing hospitality from people in this church. And then they went to the deacons in this church, and Larry and Lenora, phenomenal people. And I, I just have to mention this, Larry just passed away just a few days ago of COVID. I want you to be praying for his wife, Lenora. Precious, precious godly people uh, doing an incredible job pouring into life. This is an expression of the gospel, an expression of the gospel. Incredible. And then, you know, when that letter went through the door, 
you know, hi, this is Community Church. We want you to know that this debt has been paid and that you are a part of that and your generosity, the impact that that's making on lives. Praise God, praise God, praise God. I want to show you this very quickly. We looked at this two years ago. This is uh, what I nicknamed the giving ladder. I looked at this two years ago, so I don't expect everyone to remember this, but I'm going to do it rather quickly because I'm actually going to do it again next year, and I'll take a little bit more time with it. What this simply is, is this question that Paul asks at the end. He says, you know, this idea of, look, I know you want to be generous, right? And if you ask anybody, would you like to be generous? They say, yes, I want to be a generous person. And then he's like, yes, stop theorizing about it and just go ahead and do it. What this does, it just, it's going to give you a snapshot right now in about five minutes to answer that question for you. So if you're wondering, like, am I a generous person? Um, this letter is going to answer the question for you. So here's this one on the bottom right here. Um, if you're taking notes, you can just write down, the words initial giver. So this is somebody who's just starting off in generosity in their lives. Here's the incredible thing about this. In the last two years during advance, there were over 300 individuals in our church who never, ever, ever gave. They never gave. So would you say that that is a generous life or not? You'd probably say probably not. And in the last two years, over 300 individuals or families gave for the very first time. Now, please don't look down your nose on that because I actually think that's incredible. And here's why. Because they went to God and the Spirit of God spoke to people whose wallets were much like mine, right? Clamped, closed. And the Spirit of God said, hey, I want to speak to you. And we've got over 300 people in our church who said, God, I want to be obedient to you right now. Praise God for individuals who would take that step of generosity. I think that's absolutely incredible. That's a huge celebration. The second one is uh, simply what we would call an occasional giver. And so this is somebody who every now and again, they would say, I'm going to do more than just give once. Uh, I'm going to uh, not just give impulsively, but I'm just going to, every now and again, I know that I want to be generous. The first individual, an initial giver, is asking this question, God, what do I do with my stuff? And they begin to give for the very first time. An occasional giver asks a slightly different question. What do I do with God's stuff? The third one right here is an intentional giver. And this is someone who's now being probably a little bit more deliberate about what they're doing in terms of their generosity. The Holy Spirit is tugging on their hearts. They don't want to be impulsive with their giving. And the question that an intentional giver is asking is this. God, what do I do with what you've given to me? If you're new to church, this might be a new word for you. In the Old Testament, we see this word called tithe. Tithe is this idea that, Lord, thank you for all that you've given me. I want to give you 10% back. And I don't say this in a bragging way at all. For myself and Kelly, tithing has, be, has be, uh, been a, sort of a normal practice in our financial lives of generosity since before we were even married. And so when we look at our budget and we sit down, we look at our finances, before we do groceries or taxes to the government, before we do anything to anybody, we say, God, we want to tithe to you. We want to be intentional about our giving. And that's something that we've just done all our lives and just become a normal part. This one right here is a surrendered giver. The question this person is asking is, what does God want me to give from what he has provided. This is someone who truly gets to this point where they understand, look, everything I have has been given to me from God. 
And for Kelly and I, this is where we are right now. We are no longer content to just tithe. Lord, we want to be surrendered givers. And that's the direction that we've been moving in personally in the last two years. And then this last one here is a lifetime giver. And this really is big picture thinking, really big picture thinking. The question they're asking is this, what does God want me to keep from what he's provided? So Lord, you've given me all of this. What do I need to live on? Okay, I need this to live on. Lord, the rest is for your glory. The rest is for the kingdom of God. The rest is to help somebody who has nothing. Listen to these words from St. Augustine. Find out how much God has given you and take from it what you need. The remainder is needed by others. Again, this picture might be a refresher for you. What I love about it is that in about five minutes, it gives you the snapshot where you go, I think I know which rung on the ladder. I think I know where I'm at. And for me, what it's helped me to do is to say, okay, Holy Spirit, so this is where I'm at. I know what a next step might look like for me to become a generous follower of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask us right now as we just wrap up our time to actually do something that we did exactly two years ago, almost to the week. I'm going to ask you to go to your father right now. And I want you to just say to your father, Lord, what are you speaking to me? The number one goal of advance Please notice what we really haven't done today. We haven't gotten into the specifics of the things that we've accomplished in the 418 initiative or in Mount Pleasant or in Alma. We're actually going to excitedly sort of look at those last week. The number one goal of Advance was simply this. We wanted 100% of our church to have an encounter with Jesus Christ when it comes to generosity. And then to simply go before the Father and say, God, how are you leading me? What would you say to me? And I'm going to ask you, even right now, to do exactly the same thing that we did two years ago. And say, God, I want to encounter you. Lord, this is where I'm at. I'm in one of these places. Lord, I want you to come and speak to me about what does it look for me to be a generous follower of Jesus Christ. If you're looking at this for the very first time, and you've never seen anything like that, you're saying, God, all of that's brand new to me. I've never really even thought about generosity. I've never even thought about my relationship with God and stuff. And my desire to have or keep or accumulate. I've never really gone there. I would encourage you to actually come before the Father and say, God, where am I with you in the light of all of this? And what would you speak to me? Particularly in ways where typically I want to clam up. Where naturally my predisposition for the vast majority of my life is to say, no, God, I want to have my fists tight. And if this is a refresher for you, would you just come before the Lord right now? And just say, Lord, what now? What would you ask of me? How can I serve you? What would you say to me today? Lord, like the Macedonian church, do I still find tremendous joy in giving? Or Lord, has this become duty for me? So would you just come before your father right now and just quiet your heart and say, God, what step are you calling me to? How can I serve you in this area where just like most people, I want to clam up, Lord? Help me open up to you. So would you just quietly come before the Lord right now?